Podcast episode number thirty-five. Thank you. There you go. We're um, happy to have you here at another edition of the Crash Chords Podcast, where every day is Red Letter Day, and today's Red Letter is Orange. How long have you <laughs> been preparing that? Yeah, seriously. I would love to know. No, that's from Sesame Street. I know what it's from. <laughs> um, today we have a very special guest with us, Hazel Honeysuckle, burlesque star extraordinaire. Hello. Is with us today. Um, and she brought us our album, uh, which we'll get to in a bit. I can't breathe. Why? What happened? I'm laughing. Oh. I missed something. He's enamored with himself. Thank you for joining us today, He's Hazel. <laughs> yes. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Uh, An official welcome for Hazel. Thank, thank you. you very much. It's lovely to be here with you. Um, uh, lovely. Lovely, show. really? You don't have to flatter us. I mean, seriously. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> We've yeah. never had that before. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Forget you guys. I'm lovely. Whatever. Depends on who you ask. If you ask John, <laughs> he's lovely. Anyway, um, I have to go put my knife away. Let's get into uh, how our weeks were. Uh, my weekend was actually pretty busy. I worked um, two burlesque shows back to back within a couple days, which was uh, a first. Um, Wasabasco Burlesque did a free show because they were. What was the name of the the um, documentary that was being recorded? The documentary is called Burlesque: A Reemergence. Oh right. And so, and it was kind of odd because you'd be backstage and like I'd be talking to one of the performers, and slowly a camera would come into like my side <laughs> view, nonchalantly like getting in on the conversation. It was really bizarre. I like that a reemergence. Yeah, there's a lot of imagery in it's that. It's very word. introspective. It's very very introspective for burlesque. Well, the focus, the focus of the documentary is is on how burlesque was big in the fifties, sixties, forties, fifties, sixties, went away, and now it's. Reemerged hmm. in a new in a new form, kind of like a phoenix. That's actually kind of interesting, considering the album that you brought us today. Yeah, it kind of works well <laughs> with that. Actually, yeah. <laughs> what, what was the other show? Oh, uh, then we did a, a second show at City Winery on Saturday. Um, it was a late show, which usually City Winery ones were, which was interesting because for the first time in my career with Wasabasco Burlesque, we had a heckler who is was really bad most of the show. He's kept his back to the performance most of the night, and, like, it was really bad. He ended up getting thrown out for mooning one of the performers slash hosts. I would have thrown him out well before that. We didn't really have grounds to do it, but we did. And Doc handled it very professionally. Like, he got up on stage, he was clearly upset, but no cursing, no no screaming. It was just, you know, this is disrespectful, how dare you, get out. And, you know, it was handled well enough. Um, That's true performance talent right there. Yeah. Yes, I do not know where those people came from, but they... Well, it turns out I actually have a backstory on that. Apparently they were friends of one of the waiters. They got comped in. They didn't oh, pay. Oh, they got That's why. Comped. We usually don't get douchey people at our shows, but they were friends of a waiter and... Yeah. So they got him for free. That's why they didn't give a damn. They had a full-on gotcha. brawl yeah. before they could get them out the door. Yeah. While Kiss of Adams was performing. Yeah. And while they were in the doorway and they were fighting back, 
Like you saw like three or four black shirts fly from the kitchen to the front door to just set them straight. Like it was like superheroes running to the aid. It was incredible actually. <laughs> it was great. Like these three or four very built guys just fly out of the kitchen and just so push them out. You're calling the security guys superheroes? They weren't security. They were working in the kitchen. Oh. Some of kitchen the, workers. Some of the, you know, but did they have, Irish, did they have the Irish accents? Get out here, mangy mash. Did they do this at all? No. No, uh, no, no. it's not the no. way it happened in my head? Okay. No. Were they bald? Who the... The security the, dudes that weren't really security dudes. Balding, maybe. This Some of them had thing. short hair, but no, not really what? bald. What? <laughs> Were they military people? Um, might have been, who knows. But yeah, so that, I mean, my w weekend was pretty eventful with that. Um, I don't know, other than that, I didn't really do too, too much. Yeah, I got nothing to compare to that, so. <laughs> I'd imagine. <laughs> it's just, uh, I want to know more about this documentary, actually. You say it's on the... 1950s, 60s popularity of the burlesque scene, and then it covers its decline. No, um, no, um, no, no. It's 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 about the new burlesque. Ah. So it's that about has, the reemergence re of it. That's pretty. Cool. Hence the title, reemergence. Well, yes. Is this out, or it will be out? Oh, no, they just filmed it. Ah. It's in filming. In they're still filming. All right, we'll probably get to that stuff later. Yeah, and um, we'll definitely push that when it comes out, and we have more info on it. Yeah. Too, so as well. uh, hold that thought. Um, right now, I'd say we get into the album. Sure. Um, it's okay. I did nothing this weekend. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you. I was, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. It's coming, you know. And that's why we're not friends right now. Uh, Don't talk when you have your coffee mug in front of your face, John. Thanks. Oh, he called you out on air. That's yep. like the second time, on third time. Air. Yep. Unbelievable. I'm not friends with Matt anymore either. This week's That'd album is cool. The Champagne Music of Lawrence Walk. Welk. 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 I spell things wrong all the Welk. time. Welk. 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 By Lawrence Welk. <laughs> By Lawrence Welk in quotation marks. It, it seems, after listening to the record, it's more... It's kind of a collection of the greatest stuff he's had on his show over the years. Because uh, he wasn't actually, I think, involved in every single track, if even most of them. A lot of them, it was just... Well, I think a lot of other performers. It's it kind of hard to say. It was a variety show. I mean, there was a lot of variety shows going around in the 1950s and 60s. And this guy was around for 30 years, and he made his entire career off of doing very, very, very safe, conservative music. And there was, surprisingly enough, as much as critics would call this, I, I actually think there was a quote that called him the squarest music this side of the Euclid. That wow. is a direct quote. <laughs> wow. Wait, which which is the Euclid? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. Like that, maybe that would give us a little more clarity. Still, I feel like is it's that a triangle. A, is that a math a, reference? I think it's a ge geometrical reference. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Because I thought it was Euclid Avenue in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> because wow. on the other side of the Euclid, that's the squarest music. But we're thinking about the other side. I think. I think <laughs> it was it, it was it was musical wallpaper, musical yes. wall. Oh, yeah, so you're you're getting right into it. Yeah, huh? you're not even holding back your critiques. No, okay. Stomping at the Savoy was the, it's stomping at the Savoy, for those who mastered the English language. What is this pronunciation <laughs> fail day? Seriously. Yeah, I know, right? I found this song to be peppy, and that's it. It was very upbeat. It was fun. Sadly, I think we're going to say that about a lot of these tracks, but yeah. no, I, I have specific comments coming on later, but I guess, yeah, for this opening track, there's very little you can say other than, this is upbeat, you can bob your head, I, I called it nice finger-bobbing music. Because, I think it was a, oh, sorry. Well, if you were to bob anything else, that would be too ornate and, and, <laughs> and, and flashy. You don't want to distract the customers. This is, this is pure background 
take it for what it is. You can't even you don't bob want your to head. offend anyone. Precisely, either. precisely it's, that. But although later on they get pretty much. edgy for the fifties and sixties. That's right. Yeah, there's a small hotel. Oh, <laughs> some some ankle was showing on that one. That's right, a little yes. bit, a little bit. Um, I mean, I liked it. I think it was a good opening track. I don't know any other al- any other song of the album would have been a better opening track. I think it was kind of just a solid bring you in kind of boppy beat. Um, but nothing really technical to say about it. Yeah. yeah. Did anybody have anything specific to say about this no. track? I have. First of all, can we talk about at the beginning how this is the shortest album we've ever listened to on this podcast? <laughs> oh yeah. The longest song was three min- two minutes and fifty three seconds. Oh boy. It really? was ten tracks long. Yeah, and it, they were all it around the two two and a half minute mark. About twenty five minutes, if less. We're jumping around here, but anyone want to talk about the book jacket? Oh yeah, so <laughs> book jacket was also the shortest book jacket I've ever seen. The, the, That's right. The, the, and it told the us book the jacket l- was a front cover, back cover. When you opened it up, it had all the tracks listed with the times, and that's it. Which was no also, explanation of who sang what, no credits, no nothing. The the front had a title, the back had a disclaimer, which was the same disclaimer that was on the back of the album, which also listed all of the titles and numerical lengths. Of each track. You could have covered the booklet on the back. In fact, they did, so the booklet was kind of not necessary at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've made there was, no. a, there was a contention here placed by Mary, contributor. Yeah. She suggested that around the 1980s, there was not a big trend of uh, giving crediting. credit where it's due. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But all things considered, I mean, Lawrence Welk was where it's at. If you got a spot on a Lawrence Welk, conceivably you might have a little bit of a career ahead of you. You don't know how long it's going to last, but at least you have your 15 minutes of fame because you're on the Lawrence Welk Show. To some extent, that's still true with, like, you know, talk show host, uh, host today, Tonight Show, talk, Conan. Talk, talk shows are very different now, though. Like, actually, get, getting into talk shows, like, I listen to a lot of comedy-related podcasts, and a lot of them talk about... Drew Carey has a famous story about how the day he was on Carson, the next day his phone didn't stop ringing. Like, that's what Carson did for you. You did a set on mm. Carson, the next day you were a star. But True. then comedians, even 10 years later... And Carson was the first of that batch. Right. Really. But now you do, like, Conan O'Brien has the same comedian five or six times, and they still don't have a TV show or anything. You know, well, it's I not the people, same thing. I think people are more disenfranchised for to try to put the next hot thing on their own show because they well, get burned so many times. That's true. But I'd still say there's a little bit more of a, uh, in- inclination toward popularity on today's talk show hosts than there were then. Only because... We've reduced it. A lot of these talk show hosts, they have one band on that episode. Yeah. That is the focus of comedian, that episode. Yeah. But it might even be in a little bit of the discussion. It's going to be an established band. They don't discover talent anymore. True, yeah. They're, 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 they have too much on the line. Well, and also kind of there was a thing where back then it was, if you're on Johnny and you got caught, like if you did a set and that was great, awesome. Oh, yeah, but if I'm, you got I'm called comparing. to the couch after, that oh, was you're it. Done. You're made. That's you're, yeah, true. You're getting a nice and, six and now it's salary. like everyone comes to the couch. You I'm say sit, you're big, sitting and next then you to go. Johnny. Yeah. Right, but to bring this back around, compare that to the variety shows of pre-Johnny, like oh, 1950, yeah. 1960s. Here, you'd have just so many, these were extended variety shows, and you'd have so many artists come on these shows, mm-hmm. like, per show, they were bound to get a little bit left behind yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, how are you supposed to remember who was on November 3rd, 1963? Well, yeah, you, I mean, they, it, it was more like a talent second. show. Exactly. You know? Like, the curtains open, someone plays, you say their name, the curtain closes, you move on to the next This wasn't. Right. This was pre-American bandstand style where people were showcased. Exactly. Right, like Ed Sullivan. Yes. Ed yeah. Sullivan, like where Sullivan. Like Elvis on Ed Sullivan was 
such a big deal, especially when they only filmed him from the waist up. That made it right. bigger. And Lawrence Welk is very much of that era. With one distinction, he was not just the host, he was a band leader himself, mm-hmm. an accomplished accordion player, and he was vital to many of these performances. He would bring on performances of his own, but then other times he would uh, do his own thing. Yeah. He had his band, and... Uh, I don't know. Because of this book jacket, we're simply not going to know how much of this was Lawrence Welk and how much was other artists. It's not listed on Google. It's not listed on Wikipedia. It really is it's... sad how much of a like a hit, like a crutch technology has become. Yeah. Because like no no no. In this case, we actually have out of our way gotten the the full fledged physical copy. Yeah, I tried. I'm calling it. I tried this time yeah, yeah. a lot. Well, no. Also, the problem is like I don't know anyone who still owns updated encyclopedias. But do you? You still? Yeah, I actually still have a. Uh, it's about three years old. Okay, Encyclopedia huh. Britannica. I have Encyclopedia like, Britannica, circa nineteen seventy six. I have like from the nineties. My mother bought it in sections and bought a bookcase especially for them. <laughs> they have stayed on this bookcase for thirty years. It was her own personal showpiece. But I, now I they're have, useless. When, well, when they did the Korean War end? Sources of information. That was the That's way. True. You found that was out the stuff. only way. Like that when you had Google. to do a report for school, I got to get the encyclopedia. I got to find out about George Washington. I want to. I want to convince her to keep around those encyclopedias just so I can show my kids. Hey, you remember this was Google? See this bookcase here? This was Google. Your hands are way too small to represent an encyclopedia. That's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's true. When did the Korean War end? Nineteen fifty-three ish. My first encyclopedia was older than that. Wow. Yeah. That's old. That's impressive. I yeah. want to see this thing. No, we tossed it. It was falling apart. Oh. It was like 26 pieces. Z was about the same size as a paper jacket. Well, let's reel it back anyway, in a bit, though. Since we had nothing to say about stomping in the Savoy. Other than it was fun <laughs> and upbeat. There's, also, our, there's our discussion for that song. That's also one of the songs that I danced to. Oh. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, we have to connect this intricately with the whole burlesque <laughs> thing, considering our guest here. Um... And I see it. That's the thing. Throughout this entire album, I was seeing like little dance performances going on in my head. Mm-hmm. Some of them were a little bit more conservative than Honest Burlesque, though. Some of them were <laughs> so, Chuck E. Cheese. They're, they're all extremely conservative. One of the yeah. things that I, one of the reasons I use uh, actually two of the songs on this album is because they are sweet and cute and, and stupid, really. Bubbly, <laughs> bubbly like champagne. Bubbly like champagne. Like champagne. Yes. Just, has. just happy and and pleasant and you know uh, wholesome. 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 I'm gonna take and one then, more interjection. And then here. I do a striptease. Uh, <laughs> so you just do a whole ironic spin on this whole thing. <laughs> Lawrence Welk would be spinning, honestly. He would. But um, I need to read this 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 quote here because just so you capture before we go through the song by song, I need to capture the full extended uh, view of Lawrence Welk. This is straight from Wikipedia. This is what I could get, and I think it's worth quoting. Befitting the target audience, the type of music on the Lawrence Welk show was almost always conservative, concentrating on popular music standards, polkas, and novelty songs, delivered in a smooth, calm, good-humored, easy-listening style, and family-oriented manner. Although described by one critic as the squarest music this side of the Euclid, um, this strategy proved commercially successful, and the show remained on the air for 31 years. So clearly there was Pretty something serious. to it. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is pop. This is pop for then. Yeah, honestly. Like, we talk about pop now being a little bit vacant. You, you, you can't go back to the stuff and look into it too deeply. No, we yeah. cannot go through this and be like, oh, the, this the is fine something, pronounced instrumentation. Yes. More or less, this album is something that you kind of got to look at at face value. Like, there's yeah. really no other way to look at it but at face value. We've said previous occasions, uh, musical wallpaper. 
Yeah. Um, that's the way classical music was looked, and in many ways, this was uh, this was continuing that tradition. So moving on to track two, say it isn't so. Mm-hmm. No, this isn't a Weezer cover. Right. Beat you to it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, you. You're welcome, because I knew you were going to say that. Um, This one I put as swoony and sweet. It was kind of, you know, you sway to it, you kind of take it in. Even though I said before I wasn't going to come in an instrumentation, I am. Honestly, the chord progressions in this particular song, I was really, really enjoying. I thought it actually had a little bit more character of, it kind of brought out the 40s. This was the the solid side of things. Which also brought out a lovely but non-distinct voice. The woman... Singing was very very typical of the time. Flat, I think though. Oh, Her range flatter, wasn't but... very broad. I mean, I've heard some incredible music. Well, this is not. They're not from this era. She's not trying to do Amazing Grace. She's yeah. not trying to. No, do... I'm talking like from this era. Standard songs, just like this, where there was a lot more musical talent of the voice, and from this no, era. True. Yeah. From 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, if a woman is I'm singing, throw out an artist. Wait, wait, wait. Cat, there, right? If a woman is singing. It doesn't matter what she's saying. She, her voice is being purely used as an instrument. That's how they were kind of regarded back then. Okay. That's a, are you taking the misogynistic side of things? Yes. But that's how, yeah, that's that, how they that were viewed. And there was, was no, there was, it was a kind of a shabby voice. Okay. And I, I can support your claim there. I, I'm going to throw out an artist, Catherine Grayson. Uh, I, I discovered Catherine Grayson in the way that you should discover old artists. I found old records, like old 78 records. Uh, from like the 30s and 40s, and I listened to them, and I was kind of blown away. These were like early standards. You think of them as you expected it to be a little bit more like this track, but they 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 blew me out of the water. They the chord changes there were way advanced for pop. I mean, I guess pop by definition by definition today we don't think of pop as being terribly you know chordal. We think of it as being four chords and mm. then looped and looped and looped and that's it. That's yeah. all you get. And there's a lot of post-production. Back then, there was now. a tradition of being a little bit more, uh, you know, having more of a progression within a pop track. Right. You know, but I can't say that this track really did so much. I liked the chord track. I liked the chord progression, but um, I'm not sure the voice really did it for me. I agree. I thought all in all, though, it was, you know, it was a good track. It wasn't... I oh, yeah, it was enjoyable. It bad about it. It was enjoyable. I just, you know... I've heard Catherine Grayson now. I have to compare the, her voice to her in my head. That right. That's just... You can't beat it. Track three, though, is where I really, it really got my attention. Um, the Man with the Banjo. This was one of those th- songs that, first of all, the deep, deep voice that came in on this song. I loved it. It was just so great and unexpected. And it was like Baloo from Jungle Book was wandering around with a, oh, a not even. banjo. Not even. I mean, B- Baloo, I'm thinking more like uh, Tony the Tiger. That I always forget his name. Thorncroft or something like that. Right. Um, They're great. Yeah, that guy. He was also the vacuum cleaner on Brave Little Toaster. And he sang... Uh, the Grinch, Mr. Grinch. Right. Yeah, that... Yes, that, that, that is the voice. That is about the only caliber of deepness that I can even compare to this guy here. So it's really kind of sad. I hope he went on to do other things. It was a, but it was a great song. It was fun, and it had this nice deep voice. And it was a standard progression. It was predictable. Oh, the being, banjo... No, the banjo... Cold here. It was supposed to be a song about a banjo. There was a short little bit in the there middle. There was not a short little bit about the banjo. The banjo was there the entire time. Yes, yes, but it was playing two chords, and that's it. Back and forth, back and forth. That's all it was doing. I mean, it was a complimentary instrument. That's what it should do. 
But then it had its solo. It was a featured instrument in the middle of the song, and that's what it was building up to. I didn't see anything wrong with that particularly. Yeah, I thought it was. I just found it particularly unenticing. <laughs> you, you you had a Doctor Evil moment there. A little bit, little As, bit. I you know I'm also a, I'm also a big fan of bluegrass music, and so I listen to a lot of banjo. And I agree that there's very little banjo in the song "Man with the Banjo." Um, <laughs> you know, but the song really is Tom's about so the man. Unless the banjo, the banjo's kind of an afterthought. There could it could be a lot more. Um, <laughs> It could be a lot more impressive, the banjo music. It's an old man but, with the banjo, then it's about the old man. For a little me, bit more so than the banjo. For me, the song is about this man's ridiculously low voice. And yeah. just, it's just yeah. so silly. Like, yeah, it sounds, it's, it's almost it's cartoony. It you're, sounds you're nothing like a banjo. You're picturing like bear in the big blue house kind of like giant bear sitting on a porch. It also reminded me it's, of the brother on Everybody Loves Raymond, it, Robert, who has that really <laughs> deep voice. No, it, 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 it reminded me of the Berestein Bears. In mm. as automatons at Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. Yeah. That's the best, and that's Chuck not e. a compliment. Automatons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's still a unique. Leave track. it to John to work <laughs> automaton into our podcast. Yeah, I wanted to ever since I heard this. I uh, wanted sure. it. I adore this song. Like as as you mentioned with the quote from Wikipedia, it's novelty. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Well, you it's, can't you can't yeah. dislike any of these songs. You, <laughs> it's you really just hard. can't. True. This really is not going to get like they the will not polarize you. But you can't you can't love them and you can't hate them. They're just pleasant. I'm comparing it to the context of the album. As far as the album is concerned, this, this is, man's voice is that this is as as abnormal as it gets. Yeah. Everything else is staying in constrained in this little box, and then all of a sudden you hear this guy's voice, and you're like, "Whoa! What just happened? Where am I?" And I think that's something to be said. I'm just I, pointing I that agree. out. I agree with if Steve on I'm that. Gonna, if we can actually talk about this album in terms of an arc, then that's a little bit of a climax, okay? That's true. <laughs> the same. Um, moving on to track four, You Call It Madness, which was one of the sadder songs on the record, if you could say that. It wasn't horribly sad, but it was clearly someone who's heartbroken singing about love from the other side moody. of it. A little, yeah. bit, a little bit more towards the scandalous side. Of the 1920s, 1930s, he was making a little more interesting references, which by our standards nowadays are ridiculously benign, but, but time, still a little mm-hmm. bit different, a little more out there. That is the one factor I can point to here that set this apart. Yeah, and I'm not even sure I could take it that far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick with... Um, I'm gonna sting with the stick with the observance of the vocal talent here. This I particularly enjoyed this because it was a throwback to another era. And even though this is all, well, you can't say throwback because the album is from the early '60s, but this was a throwback even more so to like the '20s. I mean, the voice here was just so it had that constant vibrato that you always get from from singers at the time. It was just the style. That's the way people sang. It's the way pop music was done, but it just had that whole swooning. Yeah, oh yeah, you, it was lovey dovey and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sweet. I mean, again, I, I I give it points for being, for having character. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is... had like this song and 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 the song the previous song definitely had more character than like Stomping at the Savoy, which is just very bland but good but bland. Whereas this exactly. had a little more character and flavor to it. Yeah, 
Not a ton, but definitely more than its predecessors. Well, let's, let's, it's sad that we interpret that as a novelty today, though, because we don't we this we don't hear this anymore. Yeah. So everything is going to be like, oh, that's nice. It's like from another era. If we at this time, you still got to treat it, you know. If we're talking character, the next track, "Swinging Down the Lane," had awesome. the most unique aspect of the album, which was a broom. No, it's not a broom. I figured it out, and I still stand by remark. It is a leather polishing brush being used as a musical instrument. Like a leather a, a, broom. a shoe, a shoe, shoe brush. A shoe brush. Yeah. It, it, it's like a broom. The bristles sound closer together than a standard broom. True. It, it, if all of a sudden, over the, all these podcasts, your ears have come to the point where you can distinguish two different types of broom sounds, then... Um, your work here is done. You can go home. I'll take over your I'll job. I'll quit tomorrow. Okay. All right. But just, that's about that's that's it. Otherwise, it was mostly just a feel good song. Yeah, I pictured like Fred Astaire dancing to it, like it had a kind of a little like dancing, you know, bouncy. Yeah, where but where dancing for hips, that time, your hips might start to shake, but not too much. Otherwise, they'll throw you out. It's that's, true. That's, so because you're a white person, still, you probably can't dance very well. So if you're a white, so man, this is women, the kind of music you can just you know move your shoulders a little too. No, no, no. We're not yet yeah. there at shoulder movement. That's Ooh. scandalous. Ooh. That's true. This shoulder, is more, shoulders were right up there in ankles, like, at the time. Oh, we're still God, at the Matt. occasional I showed snapping. some shoulder. Occasional uh, yes, snaps, that, that might know. be the extent of it. That's true, yeah. It's primarily women doing this as well, because um, a man wouldn't be caught dead dancing. As I said, finger-wagging music. Finger-wagging. Just, just move it back and forth. That's, a, that's, about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's about all you'll get. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Let's move along to Ebb Tide. This song I have no notes for. I barely <laughs> even remember it. I don't have notes for this one either. I like the xylophone. Uh, oh, yes, it had the xylophone. xylophone. I feel like this that was, was nice. one of the blander of the tracks. Like, I just don't remember They sang about water, about right? The xylophone. They were singing about water? Yeah, something like that. Okay. This, I mean, Ebb Tide's this, this was a song, and the, the one thing that I noticed about this song is like, well, it's very low key and it's very, you know, quiet. But it, at one it's, point during the middle of the song, it gets very loud. And, that's true. It and does it's very swell. Passionate, and then it goes back. That down. was with the horns. It swells. Yeah, I'm it going... swells. It has it has one swell, which is the tide, and then yeah, you can't say swells. I, plural. It had a swell. I'm <laughs> very glad swell. that you pointed that out because that actually separates from just talking about oh, it's nice and characteristic of the <laughs> '30s and all that stuff. No, that's actually a. It's a usefulness of that trait, like the, his voice style, very similar to the one that I call it, and they call it madness. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not quite as twenties. I call it a little bit more thirties, only because the, vibra- the vibrato like <laughs> died down a little bit. But he was still swooning, and he would swell in the middle of the song. You'd have this, almost like you can hear like a, it's like a, sort of like a score to a movie. Imagine around like the early fifties or something like that. Imagine when the strings would suddenly swell up and get louder and they would always like die down and do this little, this little do, 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 do. it's kind of a tremolo is it felt, anybody follow this it felt very yeah. thrima- very uh, theatrical yes wait, yes. wait, you know, wait. Like, on a very very small scale i heard a moment of of theatrical wonder tremolo is the furious playing of a violin yes this is we had this i remembered very good yeah, wow, you were actually paying attention to my uh, vocabulary words <laughs> well otherwise i'll get nosebleeds <laughs> Small Talk, track seven. It had one defining feature, and this feature was this. <laughs> That's impressive. Thank you. 
Well, actually, Small Talk, I liked Small Talk because it also, a defining feature about it was it was one of those songs that's about two minutes long and the vocals didn't kick in until about a minute. And most songs don't really do that anymore, where you get a whole huge instrumental in the first half of the song. That's because everybody has ADD these days. That's and true. They you need to get the lyrics right yeah. away. Otherwise, it's an instrumental, and nobody likes instrumentals. Yeah. This is the same thing they did. A little bit of bias on our part there. Yeah. With with track five, Swinging Down the Lane, that's also the first half of that is there's no vocals. They well, just you kick need in a, later. Yeah, that's they true. They needed a brush solo. <laughs> they did need a brush this solo. This one had a pop solo. Yes. As in a singular a pop. A, a, a solo yeah. note, yes. Because at least for swinging down the lit, like when you're here in the broom, then maybe you have something to distract you. You're like, what's that broom? You're just doing that for a minute. You're just, like, feeling, what's that, what's that you're just feeling, yeah, da, 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 da. this one was yeah. not even that. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of. I mean, the, the female vocalist I, I liked actually, a lot better than the previous one. I was just about to say the same I thing. I think it was the same lady, but she no, was wasn't. actually. No, I no, think no. The she, voice was different. No, There's no way to prove any of this. Yeah, I know you in speculating. I believe it was the same lady, but she was actually exercising her vocal cords a lot better. Uh. But that's like that's like it. That's all I got. <laughs> it's, this it's is not one of our best reviews here. No, well, there's not a lot to say. It's it's not it's not that it's not a good review. It's just it's hard to talk about this. Well, in this great is detail. why I read that existing review, right? Because yeah. it that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, it does. I honestly think you know a uh, uh, actual. Music critic who usually is supposed to spend you know hours contemplating the the societal meaning of a particular piece. I don't think he's gonna have much to say either. So I don't yeah. think we need to really stress ourselves out. Okay, yeah. next one. There's number, a small hotel. Number eight. This was the truly almost crazy song for the time. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about taking someone to bed in a hotel. I mean. That's... No, no, no. They actually talked about marriage during it as well. So oh, they really? kind of they kind of backpedaled there. Oh, and also they they mentioned a chapel, but they did not mention marriage, anything about the people yes. being married. Yes, yes. which right. I was surprised because I've listened to that a few times, and I keep listening for the for the reference to the fact that yes, these people are married because this is Lawrence Welk. <laughs> but there isn't. But there isn't. It's it's kind of. It's, I think I think feel like he was on stage going, "Mothers, please cover your ears." Before this song was played, <laughs> <laughs> they played it at the end of the show. Please send your children to bed. When all of the children, they should had, not had left. be yeah. exposed to this song. Like that's how I feel, and I feel like, oh my god, what are you doing? This is racy. <laughs> the other music going on at this time, and this was his out there song musically it actually was a little bit more out there it was a little bit more ornate than i think the previous tracks it yeah. had very it had a lot of interludes not, not that a lot of these tracks have a lot of interludes but um more for like, a two more and like, a half minute song it had like, a lot of interludes more like interludes. accents i would say yes after like every verse there was a little yeah. accent and um there was a lot of them yeah there was the pretty, whole song pretty yeah. chimes pretty chimes pretty chimes and also more xylophone yeah <laughs> Which is a fun instrument. It is. You don't hear it that much. Not as fun as the broom. Not as fun as the broom. That's broom true. was a lot of broom fun. Broom takes sure. the cake. Or I don't brush. Know. Or brush. Depending on depending on your opinion. Yeah. Well, what ask, ask John. In. He's clearly an expert. So. On this, yeah. You know. Moving on to track nine, we brought our gentleman back with the deep voice for "Oh Happy Day," where he sang a very melancholy. No, it wasn't tone. melancholy. No, yeah, tone melancholy. The, the tone of his voice was melancholy, but the song was. A very positive, cheery song, the song about sunrise. Song was just goofy. Yeah, it was <laughs> this very, is the equivalent, very uh, novelty. This is the equivalent of a song that you'd play if an elephant was walking down the street. This is just like the. This is like the thing that uh, you know every every high school tuba player has to learn the fat <laughs> right. people walking song. This is the equivalent of that. <laughs> 
I'm serious. Wow. That's a direct reference to Family Guy. It is, wow. but uh, that's when I thought they were much more on point. That's true. <laughs> Seriously. I, I like that. Find a tuba player who doesn't know how to play that. They should be fired and drop the instrument. I don't even know anybody who them. plays the tuba. So that would be an accomplishment in itself. It's a lost art. It really the is. The tuba? Yes. Okay. Sure. Okay, I'm going to find a tuba player out there to just like... We should have him on the you. podcast. Tuba players out there, send us an email. Sit what? on John. <laughs> what? I'm taking this in weird directions. Yes. Let's move on. My favorite song. The final track, 12th Street Rag. I actually was enjoying this one. Actually, this it was, was a great this close did turn to out. the record. What, what, what words were those? Am enjoying? Now? I actually was enjoying this one. Oh, okay. You changed this, your tense there. There were words. There were words. The words. words. He said words. You don't words. listen to me. <laughs> I love this track. I really did. Because it hold, was... I mean, up. I'm a little bit biased. I play ragtime. So I... It it was... It was roca. Or it was poke time. It's poke time. Oh, yeah, it is. No, too racy. Too racy. it down. I'm sorry, Lawrence Wallach. I'm sorry. He's turning in his grave right I didn't now. mean it. In his grave somewhere in North Dakota. <laughs> where he's from, by the way. But the accordion so playing in this song was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Trying yeah. to get it back on track. Yeah. This actually was Lawrence Welk. This is one yeah. I can certify to say this was Lawrence Welk because it had an accordion in it. Yeah, which and he played. He plays. And uh, so actually it's still not an assertive. <laughs> it's just an educated guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah. Well, considering the limit of information we found, there's not much for anybody else to prove us wrong. Yeah. This guy's still alive. Lawrence no, Walker. no, no. Oh, we can't even email him. He died about the same time this was uh, remastered or re-recorded. Yeah. Re-re-recorded. Re-re-recorded. Yes, once from the eighty, once from eighty-three, and once from. They figured the early there was 60s. just enough interest to remaster this, but not to actually put any production value into the or worse into the book jacket. Or worse, CD they jacket. were banking off his death because the time right. frame is suspiciously similar. His death and this release. That is a very common thing. That does. It is. I have. I have. I have need, I, need I invoke Whitney Houston and all that? I have yeah. one question, which I know the answer to. How much did the record cost you? Well, this oh, record, um, this CD, I bought in a thrift store at my grandmother's retirement community for twenty-five cents. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know the whole backstory. A retirement community. Excellent. Oh. For a quarter. For a quarter. Which back then would have bought you a five-course meal. And the newspaper. And a ride on the trolley. Yeah. I consider it a very good purchase. <laughs> For the price you paid, I For agree. For the price. It I was agree. excellent. I, I spent 50 cents on a first edition Grapes of Wrath. Wow. Yeah, I think I made it a little bit better than that. Nice. Um, I'll, do the, I'll start the wrap up. <laughs> this is the wonder bread of music. <laughs> it's fair to say. Considering the depth of this true. album... The depth that's there, that's all I have to say, 2.5. I'm done. Oh. That what love. more am I going to say? I no, found I... it to be uninspiring, even compared to its contemporary pieces. It was tried and true. There was nothing out there that really set it apart from anything else. I'm not going to do it as a two, because I feel like I'm a little more biased towards it. Otherwise, 2.5. It, it, I can see people enjoying it for the... 25 minutes it's there. I'm invoking another quote. What? From Lawrence Welk himself this time, just to show that this was precisely his intention. He never intended to make anything that was uh, supposed to sort of grab you and make you 
you know, contemplate time and life right. and everything. He said that we still play music with the champagne style, which was coined by a critic at some point, which means light and rhythmic. We place stress on melody. The chords are played pretty much exactly the way the composer wrote them. And we play with a steady beat so that dancers can follow it, which uh, I believe is one of the main reasons why it was brought to us by our truly guest. <laughs> so I'd I say it was a success in that regard. I don't see the vast majority of these songs really being dance songs. I see them being sway songs. But can you in a burlesque environment? In a what environment? burlesque environment. That is the only environment. At, flipping these songs on the head might be the only way. And again, to make well, them. you you truly, have to yeah guests. You have to think about the dances of the time. Like people were probably doing the foxtrot, perhaps the waltz, perhaps the you know exactly. single swing, the very vanilla Wonder Bread type dances. No one was you know no one was grinding or or <laughs> yeah you know doing anything. Um, the Char- the Charleston was about as you know. Okay. Oh, they would never gets. do the Charleston. That that's was right. that's the, still, that's, that was a very rebellious dance. That's right. That was for the cities. Those those, those urban folk. That's what they'd yes, be doing. That was it. With that was their liquor. Yeah. This is dance. North Dakota. You know, let's stick to North Dakota environment. This is where you get six inches between your dance partner kind exactly. of music. That is not lending itself to being a good thing. <laughs> well, it's, okay. My biggest issue is that these tunes are so borrowed from so many other better songs. I think that it's a fair point, though, that John penalizing it for... Even if his intent was to make bland music, it's still bland music. Oh, of course not. I'm just so, being an ass. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> then, ass, why don't you wrap up next? All right, fine. I I do think that this succeeded in what it was going for. But, um... It set we, the we, bar low. Yes, and that was exactly what he does. He Apparently, I was reading a little bit more about our friend Lawrence Welk... He wanted to be play an accordion so bad, and there was some kind of mail order accordion that cost a lot of money for the days. It was like the equivalent of like four thousand uh, dollars today for then. It was like four hundred or something. But um, he asked his father to 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 get it for him, and he would get it for him, and did in exchange for him to work on the farm until he was twenty one years old, and he did. He worked on the farm, so he's an honest guy. Just lend more to his conservative. You know, he's a moral valued person. Um, he's Kind of has a cute German accent. Real. <laughs> He's Wonder Bread American. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I really disagree with John at all. I, I'm just saying that um, it's something that was there to hold you back during all the times when there's all this other stuff popping up. You have rock music burgeoning out in the 60s, and this guy was just steadfast. He wanted to do what he wanted to do, and that was that. Um, but you're right. It is very marketable. If he did it for marketable marketability purposes, we do have a tendency a tendency to criticize that in the podcast previously. I mean, anything that is done just for marketability is kind of uh, kind of a little bit of a cop out. I kind of wanted. I would like him to have gone somewhere else in his life, mm-hmm. and this is pretty much where he stayed. Um, and considering this is just a compilation of his entire career, yeah, it's not going to get that high. There was definitely, definitely better, more edgier stuff around in the 40s, 50s, and certainly the 60s. So, um, I'm going to agree with uh, John on this one, 2.5. Okay. I guess I'll wrap up next. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's really not a lot to say in the wrap-up portion about this album. It's pretty face value. Probably one of the most face value albums we've really reviewed. It's kind of, it is what it is. Like, that's it. 
because it can't be what it isn't. Um, what? That was deep. You want to repeat I that? I, I want to quote. It oh. is what it is because it can't be what it isn't. <laughs> can, can you, like, carve that not, in a block and hang it on my wall? <laughs> not my line. Borrowed it, but still like it. Oh. Um, but, you know, I mean, I liked it. As far as... I think I might have liked it a little more just because while I've listened to this music in the past, I haven't listened to it recently, within the last year or two for sure. So it was kind of a pleasant surprise. But, again... I think that like was novelty. I don't think I liked it because it yeah. was good. I liked it because it was different. And it was, you know, like uh, when, when Oh Happy Day started, I, I was looking at Hazel and the both of us just started giggling as soon as he started singing. <laughs> That's the thing. The second you giggle, it, it, it's, it's definitely novel territory. Yeah. Right there. So, I mean, for me, I think, I've, yeah, I, I guess I'm inclined I don't know. I don't know if I'm inclined to agree completely. I think I might rate it a little higher just because the novelty gave it some value to me. So I'd kind of rate it as perfectly average. I'd just give it a three. So the only thing I want to be a little bit careful in this podcast with doing, and I'm not saying you're doing it, but right. just a uh, hypothetical situation, I don't want to rate things as just being, oh, this is different from what we've previously heard. Because then That's we're true. rating it against our own, our own specific things that we've picked and hand selected yeah, yeah, yeah. and just because this is so different you know with it's uh well no i'd give well it a, above i'm giving it a three because i thought it was average and three is an average yeah. score i didn't yeah. love it i didn't hate it i'd listen to it again so for me that's a three you know i enjoyed it for what it was and fair enough you you'd listen to it again yeah i enjoyed it so that's why I think I I'm more towards the three end of it. I just I got I listened to a couple tracks off of it. I, I got an I'm enjoyment I, out of it. My absolute favorite track, and I stick by this, is the Twelfth Street Rag. And yeah. I also it was uh, a great close for the record. Hazel pointed me to the um to the ragtime the piano version of the track, and I found a version of Liberace doing it, and that's absolutely incredible. But even so, that's another reason that separates it. If that's the same exact track that I enjoyed probably a little bit more in the Liberace piano version than I... Because, you know, he's got the, the showmanship and everything to go with it. And here, this was kind of just a, a, a bass polka version of the same exact thing. So, if other artists could take this track and do it a little bit better, again, that's why right. it stays where it is. Um, but, but, yeah. But this one track is still solid. So, yeah, for me, I would stick it at just three, perfectly average... For me, that's that's how I kind of feel about it. It's yeah. just it was the white bread of music. It's, it's pretty. It's accurate. no hard feelings for him. I'm just rating it against the pantheon of music. Yeah, yeah sure. That's the tall order. Yeah, it's still dead center, to be honest. Yeah. Two point five. Yeah. All right. Hazel. Well, I think this album is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I do realize like it's it's weird music and it's not for everyone and it's, you know, it is bland. But I've always had really kind of bizarre tastes. Anyway, your um, glasses are very, very indicative of 1960s. <laughs> I thought I've been holding back on commenting on the glasses. <laughs> I I have rhinestone cat eye shaped glasses. Yes. John, start doodling um, her glasses. <laughs> those windmills? I I don't know. They're it's a design. Um, okay. Yes. So the reason I got it. So track number one and track number 10 are songs that I use for one particular burlesque act, which I do, where, um, you know, they're, they're both just light and silly and make for a lovely, like, just ridiculous burlesque performance. Um, and that's what I look for when I look for music to perform to. I look for something memorable, something fun, 
you know, and of course, depending on the style, the theme that I'm using in a burlesque performance, this is great because it just, it catches people's attention. You yeah. Know? Like, as a performer, you want music that, that catches people's attention. It's interesting. It's, it catches people's attention, but at the same time, you don't want it to draw the eyes away from the feature, of course. Well, I'm, I'm wearing lots of sparkly things that are neon colored. So, so I'm easily distracted by sparkly things. They're not going to be looking at the speakers. There you go. For sure not. So that's the thing. And that, that's, again, that's the, the musical, the wallpaper nature of this track, I think, really is the perfect medium for what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that. So, again, that's why I was, I was, I wanted to break away from the 2.5, but I don't know. I couldn't. You can't. But, oh, you didn't give your rating. You can still give your rating, though, because you have a very unique perspective on this. Oh, well, for, for my own personal preferences, this is a five. This is some of my favorite Ooh. music. Five. I listened to this album so many times. I also really enjoy jug band music and hmm. fish. Um, hmm. I, I don't know. I have fish. Fish, fish, fish and this so back long. to back. Cirque du Soleil. Oh. Like four of their albums. Cirque this is all starting to fill in yeah. now. Now the more because I can see all Just, of this. Yeah. To the to the act, it works. I, it just has a niche thing. I think that's the, that's probably our only separation here. Is like it's so niche. I think yeah. I think I've, I like to fall into niches. Ni- oh niches. Ni- well, I don't want I don't want to say niche. Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche can get you into trouble. <laughs> well, I, I, it's funny talking about your burlesque performance. I kind of have this image now because you we, especially the two of us that enjoyed the man with the band oh. so much. I kind of picture you coming out, in like overalls with a fake beard. With a banjo in hand. I've tried to... very hard to come up with a burlesque performance to use with Man with a Banjo because. Oh, really? Oh, you should correct. pretend to be a bear automaton <laughs> with a banjo. And then strip out like, of the bear costume. Like, seriously, robotic. <laughs> I yes. think that might work. That could be really fun. A I just costume. remembered the guy's name. Thurl Ravenscroft. Okay. That's the Tony the Tiger guy. That's the guy who sang... Uh, wow, dude. That is a yeah. badass name. Yeah. yeah. Thurl Ravenscroft. I might use him for my next D&D character. There you go. There you go. Thurl. That's a good D&D name. U-R-L. Straightforward. Thurl. 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 Sounds like a hobbit name. Kind of. Maybe. But a yeah. dwarf name. A dwarf name, yeah. Thurl is more of yeah. a dwarf name. Orkin. Dwarf He's name. the biggest name in the deepest voices. Voices. Voice. No, I, I, I it's more of a more of an orc name. Well, we have a few D and D players at the table, so this I could turn play, into a real discussion. I did play the brothers Thok and Thwap. Yeah, Thok was Thurl, his orc. maybe, but Ravenscroft is is not a, is not an orc name. Thwap no, yeah, Thwap Ravenscroft would be Thwap and Thurl. That's my children. That's it. Thwap and Thurl. Thwap and Thurl. Interesting story. They were brothers. Really? Yes. Oh well. And their mother named them by throwing them downstairs and saying whatever sound they made. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. So Thok goes, Thok, 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 Thok. Mama threw Thwap too hard. He went, Thwap, Squeech. So his full name is Thwap, Squeech. Where the who hell need, have we done? Who needs the panel of buttons with silly things Can on our recordings when we have fun? Can we just, like, climb out of this rabbit hole, please? So, um, I'll leave it to you, podcast master. Thanks. Um, so he's the PM. Obviously, 
That's right. Those who are fans of yours, Hazel, will know that you're obviously very well involved in the burlesque community and you perform for several burlesque groups. Um, what do you do when you're not burlesquing? What are your kind of... Obviously, you've made it apparent that you're a D&D fan. I'm a D&D fan. She's Actually, my next, my next um, costume I'm creating is a um, Beholder. That's awesome. A Beholder is a floating head with a giant mouth full of teeth. A big center eye and eyes on like tentacles, s- tentacles coming out of the top of his head, just floats Several around. Several tentacles hmm. ending in eyeballs. Yeah. Each of which can shoot a different magic spell. Which yes. is why it's called a beholder, because it beholds. Whoa. Yes. This is Lovecraft material right here. No, it's Gigaxian. Oh. Gigaxian. 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 One of the most fascinating things about Gigax is so the guy who created D and D. Must have not been a very good DM, and I judge this by, right before he passed away, there's an online game called Dungeons & Dragons Online, which is an MMO version of D&D. They had a new adventure. When you played through these dungeons, they had a DM who would speak stuff like you hear a sound or this and that, and narrate. One of the adventures, Gygax actually narrated. Oh my god, it was awful. Welcome to my lair. Like it was... Oh my god, he's still a nerd. like, Like the stereotypical... Ten-year-old nerd, Gygax still sounded like that at 70. Yeah, but he was the perpetual guy. This is a guy who created a whole community of uh, massive multiplayers, of tabletop gaming, of war gaming. He started a whole trend. And inspired in- music, too. I mean, Blind Guardian's entire career practically wouldn't exist without D&D. I mean, they write so many songs about elves. It's either Lord of the Rings or D&D. And, and then there's uh, Weezer did... In the garage. Which, which is an homage to mm. playing D&D. To Gygax. Yeah, tabletop gaming. I don't have much to comment on this topic, except that if I wanted a personal computer in 1977, I would name it Gygax. <laughs> you weren't born in 1977. None of us were. Or before 1977. True. If you had a computer in 1977, you would be a time traveler. Are okay. you a time traveler? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I just like so, staring at him. So besides D and D, obviously, what else do you like? Um, besides D and D, well, um, what do I like to do? I enjoy watching TV on the couch. TV is fun. <laughs> Speaking of TV, you were actually featured on a Netflix series recently. Is that isn't that correct? That's true. I played the part of Echo in House of Cards. It's the new Kevin Spacey Netflix only TV show. Mm. Yes, their first their first web only TV series. Web, I guess it's not a TV series, web only series that they released all in one day. Yeah, the whole the whole the first whole season, thing right? All at once, and everyone's just binge watched it. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's actually a really awesome show, and I love it. Um, even if I wasn't in it and trying to make everyone I know watch it, you should watch it because it's good. <laughs> This is Spacey? <laughs> yeah, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. He plays a political advisor or something, right? He is a congressman. A congressman. A congressman okay. who's also the minority whip? Majority whip. I don't remember. One of the whips, anyway. And um, he has designs on just becoming, just wielding political power. And he's an evil fucking man. Um, <laughs> and your character, Echo, was... Echo is the girlfriend of basically a conspiracy theorist who is targeted in one of Kevin Spacey's character's political games. Um, 
and she appears in episodes 2 and 12. Cool. So check that out. I talk on film and everything. That's awesome. That's yeah. very cool. <laughs> a, a nice thing to add to your resume of stuff. Oh, that was a that was a great time. Did you actually get to meet Kevin Spacey? Unfortunately not. Oh, no, hmm. I did not have any scenes with Kevin Spacey. Um, no. Corey Stoll, who plays uh, Congressman Russo, oh, yeah? was, cool. was um, one of my scene partners in the second episode, and then um, Kate Mara in, in the twelfth episode, who was the sweetest woman. So nice. And even, even though we were filming in a gross, rat-infested Baltimore <laughs> strip club, uh, <laughs> was the location for Baltimore. That, that particular scene. They filmed most of it in, in Maryland, in Baltimore, and the surrounding area. Um, so, yeah. Not hard to find a gross strip club in Baltimore. but So I've heard. They so found I've the seen. worst one. Of course they did. If they're going to go bad, they're going to go <laughs> all the way. So you've seen? How many strip clubs have you been to in Baltimore? <laughs> Let me reduce that to just Baltimore. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, you can basically infer that from being to Baltimore at all. What do they have out there? A you, you lovely to aquarium. They wanted to aquarium. define an entire city and its history and all it has to offer. Baseball and an aquarium. And the USS Constellation. It's a very old ship, and it's better than the Constitution, which is up in Boston. For as ship lovers... They Not to be confused with the actual Constitution. Uh, yeah, yes. Or Constellation. I really would hope as that in people don't grouping, confuse that. As in a grouping of stars. If the United States is not, in fact, laying claim to a grouping of stars. Oh, well, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we did the moon. Several people have the moon, actually. Anyway, back on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're getting divergent here. So that was great, though. But did you have an intention to, like, did you ever set out to be in TV? Or did it just kind of work out that they were looking for a specific kind of person and you, you uh, tried out? <laughs> Well, this is the point where I admit, like, I never, I never intended to become a burlesque performer. I never intended to become an actress or a model or any of that. But um, I gave, I, you know, I, I started lessons. I started classes in burlesque at the New York School of Burlesque and then um, performed in the student showcase. And I was like, okay, I'll do this because it'll be fun. Um, Calamity Chang gave me a gig. After that, and then a couple more, and then I started gig getting gigs other other places, um, and you know, a couple months ago I quit my day job, and this is all I do now. Oh, that's awesome! So yes. it's become like your thing. That's this great. Is, this I... has become who I am, surprisingly and wonderfully, and um, I just wish that I had started doing this sooner. Wow. That's pretty awesome. That is I really say. awesome. I gotta right. go. People back... that have like that passion, like, and it's... well, and it is an art form. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm. Ruining all uh, all oh. people out there who would who would um, dispute that it is definitely no a absolutely it's it's yeah. especially when you see the shows like I mean I didn't know much about burlesque until I got involved but the, the funny thing is when I got involved I met Doc through the Waystation which is a nerdy bar in Brooklyn I didn't really know that he did burlesque I just knew as him as Anders' friend who you know was always at the bar and then one day on Facebook he went hey I need I wish I were rich so I could hire an assistant and it sucked me and I said I'll help I'm unemployed. And then I slowly became involved, and like it, like I thought from the first show, I thought it was brilliant as an art form, and I really just loved it. And mm -hmm. uh, Hazel was actually one of the first performers I saw. Um, one of the first big shows I went to was at the Bell House, and you performed your Cookie Monster routine, which has quickly become <laughs> one of my favorites. Where she gets on stage dressed 
uh, pretty much this cookie monster in a, in a dress and with a jar of cookies and strips and eats cookies and it's fantastic. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and it and is. it's a lot of fun, but. Um, you have very shallow tastes, don't you, Matt? <laughs> no, it's forget you. C is in fact for cookie. It's good true. enough for me. That should be the letter of the day. <laughs> C. C is the letter of the day. Thank you. But also, what did I you say earlier H or something? Orange. Some crap? Orange. Oh, orange. The color of the no, no. letter of the day. Yeah, is so orange. burlesque. Burlesque is definitely an art form. As with any art form, you have high art and low art. Um, <laughs> Which I'm sure you've seen across the spectrum of both ends. You know, and I've done myself. I've <laughs> definitely done some very good acts and some very bad acts. and Dabbled in the high and the lowbrow. Yes, that, that's the fun. Is like, you can, you can do whatever the hell you want to when you get up on the stage. That's true. Burlesque is very flexible. Burlesque is a pretty um, rich and colorful history. That's actually one of the reasons I liked uh, the 12th Street Rag here, is because Ragtime was the music of burlesque circa... 1910, and uh, <laughs> that was pretty much the only music of burlesque at the time. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like it. That's one of the reasons why I play it on piano, is because it's, burlesque, it's fun. Burlesque at the time was not a striptease show, either. Yeah, that's burlesque true. Burlesque at the time was a variety show, as we understand it now. Right, uh, and it's funny because then, back then, you know, to show how tastes have really changed, <laughs> um, back then, probably the upper class would still have viewed that variety show as being lowbrow, even though it's really not that bad. Like, it's nothing by today's standards. But the thing I love about modern burlesque, as I've seen it so far anyway, is hey, there are some shows that are still kind of lowbrow, and, but the the... the like, for Wasabasco, for example, still feels like a variety show because there's so many different performers who do so many different things. Mm -hmm. What made me realize it is when we saw, um, what was the name of the performer who did the Lindsay Lohan act on Saturday? That was Clea Cutthroat. Clea Cutthroat. I had never seen her before, and she did this act where she was clearly being Lindsay Lohan on stage. It was for the, the comedy of it, and there was a lot of her lip-syncing and voice speaking to vocal tracks, and... I thought it was fascinating, and it was great, and it had that kind of variety show feel. Just just out of curiosity, how does one portray Lindsay Lohan? In a I'm jumpsuit, <laughs> like you're in jail. A prison, she had a prison jumpsuit, she had a bag of cocaine. Oh, I was wondering if the coke um, was coming out. She had uh, manacles on. Um, yeah, but she, that, had, she had like ten props. Yeah. I don't remember what they all were. There was a chair, there was a dumbbell. <laughs> they kept coming out. It was, yeah. it was amazing. It was so like, now we've moved burlesque into social commentary. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, and, then, and then you have, you know, we also had Kiss of Von Adams, who, who did a very classic act. Yeah. It reminded me of some of uh, Midi Noche's classic acts, mm -hmm. too, that, that yeah. she does, that are just kind of very... Or, um, oh, who's the one that... Feathers and Rhinestones and... and I don't and know any of these people. Or, um... <laughs> <laughs> um, um um, Tansy also did a lot of very period stuff too. Yes. Some of her performances, which, which, yeah, that it's cool to see like kind of the the differences between these different actors, especially like the, as Doc likes to coin the term brilliant acts, which are equally parts brilliant and retarded. And also, Wait. I think we're like kind of leaving out the big thing here to connect it with the album that we did today <laughs> is that. He, you're being pretty ironic in choosing this album, or choosing songs from this album, from Lawrence <laughs> Welk's to, to, to do burlesque acts, too. I mean, you're using the most conservative music, or what would have been the most conservative music for the time, or maybe any other time. True. To, I mean, you know, let's I'm going it. to refute that, because I... Really? No. How are you going to refute this, Think of it this way. How are you going to refute that? You're showcasing your art, correct? You yes. want something that brings you as a performer to the forefront. 
what would be better than than musical wall wallpaper? But it complements yet doesn't supersede. Yes, but it's also I mean there's but an implication still, behind it. It's still it's still ironic, even if that's the reasoning. Yeah. It, you actually just supported exactly what I said. You realize that. John. Yeah, I'm saying it, it could be viewed without the irony. It would make actually the perfect music for burlesque. John still has his contrary <laughs> pants on. Well, tonight. no, but the irony is in which the the idea behind what the music was created. It was not created for that kind of thing or anything close to it. Uh, John is now laughing, which you can't see because he's being contrary for the sake of being contrary, yeah, which is what John, what John does. does. Well, because yeah. I want, I have not gotten to talk, and I want to talk because I have questions. Okay. Okay. First go, question. Go for it. What has been your favorite act you've performed? Do you have a favorite? That's like picking your favorite child, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is. It's mm. like picking my favorite child. I love all of Do you prefer... Because oh I know uh, with a variety uh, with the variety in burlesque, do you prefer satires? Do you prefer doing something that's a little more traditional style? Like, do you have... What, have do you, what do you like to do on stage? I have a, I have a, um, a very soft and graceful fan act which I've been doing for probably about three years now Um, which is one of my favorites it's just you know feather fans and and soft silky things and pearls and that's great and that is um, 30s jazz Mm -hmm. Um, I also have you know my my tree beard act which is (laughs) where I put on stilts, I dress up as a tree, and I'm eight feet tall. And I do, a, I, I do that with a Rush song. The trees. Um, the trees, yes. Wow. The Cookie Monster, of course. Actually, the Cookie Monster is probably one of my favorites, because I get to eat cookies. On stage. And, uh, and throw things at people. Talk about your versatile art forms. Yeah. I mean, geez. Well, the, my, the amazing thing to me is when I first saw the Cookie Monster act is that the, head, the kind of tiara-esque headpiece that she's wearing, that's Cookie Monster's nose and eyes, is paper. It's made of paper, more or less, and cardboard. It's cardboard. But the eyes still Google, like a wiggle, like Cookie Monster. And I just think that's fascinating, and it's cardboard great. And they, they are googly eyes. And as she eats a cookie, she yeah. giggles and shakes her head, and the eyes spin around, and it's it's great. That's pure entertainment right it, there. It really is. <laughs> I knew I needed googly eyes. If you're going to do Cookie Monster. It's got to have googly that's right. eyes. It's like what I most remember about him is his stupid eyes. <laughs> just wonderful. It's... And his sheer disdain for diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the song that I use actually mentions diabetes. The song that I use is called Oreo Cookie Blues by... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, someone. Anyway. I remember that one. I saw um, that one. That was, that, that Oreo was probably Cookie the most Blues is this, is this blues song. Lonnie Mack is the name. And, and he is singing about how he can't stop eating cookies and they're making him fat and giving him diabetes and he hides them in his pantry and other places so that he can always have cookies. <laughs> I'm just gl- really glad I found that song because my second choice was Lost Me Cookie at the Disco. <laughs> Lost Me Cookie? <laughs> this, is, this is a disco song sung by Cookie Monster. Oh, wow. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that image is just... I remember that. It's no weirder than Disco Duck. Also, by the way, Cookie Monster no, recently did a cover of Call Me Maybe. Yes, I saw that. That was really funny. What? <laughs> yes. Which was, a, which was a Share It Maybe. Yeah, about and it was about, about sharing, sharing cook- your cookies. Yeah. I don't believe in Cookie Monster anymore because the new Cookie Monster is like, cookies are only a sometimes food, and I find that to be terrible because he's not playing true to his character. Veggie Monster? Hey, 
Carrot, people can change over time. So can Cookie Monster. Yeah, but we had Captain Vegetable. Who's with this? his carrot and his celery. I don't know Captain Vegetable. I don't remember Captain Vegetable. crunchy vegetables is good for me. And it's good for you, so eat them too. For teeth so strong, your whole life off, and you eat carrots and celery by the bunch. Wow, I'm, I was really raised on Sesame Street. Nobody oh, else here was. No, I watched a no, lot of it, but I remember like, Captain it's Vegetable. It's not as avidly. I would switch yeah. back and forth between that I and was, Mr. Rogers. So here's proof that. of why Cookie Monster has to um, put forward temperance in cookie eating, because nobody obviously cares about Vegetable Man. <laughs> See, here we go. She has a point. rabbit, and, he had, <laughs> and then there was Eddie, who likes spaghetti, so he eats it whenever he can. If it's ready, give him spaghetti. Because, well, that's what he likes. That's how it goes. Wow. All right. Um, I also know the Meat Meat song. Meat 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 Meat. Uh huh. Uh huh. Can we review meat, a meat, Sesame Street <laughs> album? Like, can we? We please? should actually totally do I that. I want to. We should definitely do that at some point. <laughs> I do know most of the songs. Well, I actually so. mentioned. I don't remember if I mentioned it last week on air, but Bob? I know off air I, had I Bob, did. Bob's hits or something. Like I that? had a Sesame Street record player that played other records, but it was this blue and white checkered record player that came with multicolored Sesame Street records. And I used to carry it all over the house and listen to the records on it and loved it. New question. Would you ever consider doing a two-person Snuffleupagus uh, uh, show? Snuffleupagus? Yeah. Snuffy. Um, Big Bird, the, the imaginary woolly mammoth. I would. I mean, I would consider it. And how but should she incorporate this in graphic I have detail? No, if I you're, have no if idea. you're, if you're going to be, <laughs> you're if you're going to do a striptease act with a two-person Snuffleupagus costume, that would present certain problems, <laughs> such as it's two people, I'm, I'm, which which is not unsolvable. We could figure that out. I think more of the questions should be reversed to John. How do you <laughs> picture this going? In graphic detail, <laughs> you could work on one of that one of those acts yourself. There you go. You know? Make that your debut. There you go. Debut. I'm gonna have to start exercising. <laughs> uh, but a serious question: You were talk. You mentioned this earlier. What sure. exactly is the New York City Burlesque School? Yeah, I was actually going to ask the same thing myself. I did not know that existed. And Therese. The New York School of Burlesque is run by Joe Boobs Weldon, really? the headmistress. Um, there are other instructors who are all active burlesque performers. Um, there's no, you know, they don't have a building or anything. Classes are taught in um, dance spaces, and some are in the slipper room now that it's reopened. Mm. Um, they have a monthly. Central Burlesque series, which that's that's what I that's what I started with. That's you know just a couple of weekend, uh, four weekend classes. There's booty bounce classes. There are act development classes, which are great. Occasional fan dancing lessons, things like that. Um, you know, it's it's not something that you you know have a course list and, and graduate mm -hmm. from. These right. are these are individual classes that you take and you meet some of the wonderful supportive women in burlesque and so it gives you, you it gives you very easily <laughs> sort of a direction in in yes in, um, yes in what is otherwise i guess kind of a a shrouded art would you ever have any interest in teaching one of the classes um well i kita st Cyr and i have done a rhinestone a rhinestoning class that's awesome in the past not at the school wow. um we we're going to but that had to be canceled for 
scheduling per- scheduling reasons, but. Um, I'm still glad John brought that up because I think it's important to pitch that kind of thing. If oh anyone yeah, else especially out there who wants to become a burlesque, burlesque artist, burlesque star, whatever. Burlesque yes, performer. The, Perform. There you go. Any, the any any woman at a show who mentions interest in burlesque, I direct her to the New York School of Burlesque because that's that's where you want to start. Those are the people you want to meet. And I have the burlesque conservatoire. <laughs> I have another. I have another serious question. Yes. Because I am a serious person at times. Bullshit. Really? Sorry. Bull. I, pretend, I, I play one on TV. Bull. Um, do you, you mentioned before the the documentary that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit of, of, of the, the resurgence of burlesque, if you can. Do you have like any insights into this? Because you mentioned how they were trying to showcase why burlesque is becoming more popular again. You're okay. on this today. Remembering um, all the things I wanted to ask earlier. Oh, no. I'm a completely <laughs> unserious person who's actually very smart. No, no. You're going too far now. I Please. know. Okay. <laughs> so burlesque um, really grew up as an American art form. Um, really came into the golden age in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. After the 60s, it, it saw its decline with the rise of strip clubs, pornography, um, you know, people just weren't going to the so burlesque shows anymore. People forgot they how could, to do it tastefully. People forgot how to do it tastefully, yes. And it came back in, you know, the very late 90s, early 2000s as more of an art movement. You know, you had, you had people expressing, um, their, expressing themselves, you know, not, not just the sultry striptease that you'd see before. And you, right. you know, you still see that, but sort of a retro nostalgia um, thing. Hey, remember when America had taste? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, because none of us were alive at that time. Well, I'm but sure we can look at pictures of it. There you go. Obviously. We have a little thing called history. You should read it about it. It's pretty good. <laughs> but we're only going to find those pictures in books. We won't Apparently all online. this stuff happened before present and, and that made us what we are. Oh. So, so there were performers like um, world famous Bob, Julie Atlas Muse, Joe Weldon. Um, at the at the time, uh, also Dirty Martini, obviously. Um, at the time, you know, maybe you'd see maybe you'd see a burlesque performance during a drag show in between um, in between the drag performers, but there were no real burlesque shows. And once they started producing those. And you get more. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out of steam. No, I'm actually very interested. And then in I all ran of out of steam. Yes. <laughs> well, the cool thing about so I don't know if I've actually I think I've mentioned explicitly what I do on on the podcast, but I've been working with Doc for almost, for a little over a year now, doing sound for Wasabasco Burlesque and. I've gotten an education in burlesque over the last six months especially because I don't know a lot of the older performers but I've met so many people doing it and when they were filming this documentary it was kind of interesting and fascinating to me because well A, I've never been in a documentary before but B, I was finding out a lot about just the performance and and why they're doing this and, and it seemed really, really interesting like burlesque, especially in New York, is becoming a really big thing again and it's growing not just here in the city also. I mean, actually, where I uh, went to college, SUNY New Paltz, there was, um, there was like, a, an annual burlesque performance done, which was actually, a, it, was, it went on in the primary theater in our schools. That certainly says something to the, uh, the resurgence of burlesque when a state school can actually, like, say, no, this, this, is, this is a true art form. I'm 
we could, we're putting it on with all graphic details inherent. Well, as I recall, Hazel, also and you said you... And it sells tickets very well. Yes, yes, it does. That's true. Well, I recall you saying that you had driven somewhere recently to do a show with someone, didn't you? You traveled somewhere to do a show? And you're looking at me blankly. I don't remember who, who it was that you had gone with, but I feel like that, that you had said that you had done something out of state not too long ago that was burlesque related. Um, well, I did perform in D.C. In, that was it. Um, December? Yes, in December for Lord of the Pasties. Is that the name of the show? That was the name of the show. Was it more like Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Rings? Rings. Okay, thank God. That was I brought my tree beard act for that show. That was lovely. Um, which we're actually going to be doing that show again in Baltimore. Oh, cool! In a That's right. Um, you just can't get away from Baltimore. 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 Uh, wit. That's, I like that's wit. pure wit. Yes. Well, that's that's not mine. That's. That's not mine. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> like, I would never do anything with Baltimore. Like, if I didn't have a... Like, we were doing it there because they want to do it there, but... That's my home state. Aww. Yeah. Aww. Are you from Baltimore? No, suburbs. Maryland. Yeah. Maryland's a nice state. <laughs> Maryland? Yeah. I've yeah. never been there, except to drive through to somewhere else. It's nice. It's, it's, you, you should know, stop. Get a cup of coffee. It's kind of the nice. Lawrence Welk of states. <laughs> it's safe. It's not terrible. It's very white bread. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know well, if anyone can compare with North Dakota, but right. Oh yeah, we do. Mar- Maryland's Maryland's much more diverse, um, but yes. It's our East Coast, North Dakota. That that's a good way to put it. All right, that's fair. What's stick. below it? Virginia. So that's like our East Coast, South Dakota, which I think is kind of accurate. <laughs> I'm not indulging you in the geography thing. <laughs> well. Anybody? Dead anything silence. else to say? Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think that it was really great that you brought this record again, because it was, A, you use it for one of your acts, and B, it's just so different from what we've talked about recently. So it, uh, it made for a fun review and was full of giggles and enjoyment. Um, is there anything coming up that you want to promote, shows that you're doing that you want people to check out? Well, I'm going to be leaving in a week for a tour of the East Coast and South um, with some other performers. We're calling it the Mason-Dixie Tour. Oh, cool. So myself, Ula Uberbusen, Deanna Danger, and Porcelain are going to be traveling to Pennsylvania, Maryland. We're doing a show here in New York at DROM on the 11th. Oh, cool. And we'll also be going to Knoxville, Asheville, um... Other Vills. Other Vills. There is another Vill. Asheville, Asheville. Anyway. It's called the Mason-Dixie Tour, and we're very excited about it. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. And it's just the four of you guys just kind of driving down the, mm-hmm. the, the coast. That's cool. Three weeks we'll be traveling around. Excellent. Is it a show, I guess a couple... Taking of, it off. How, how many shows a week? Most, most of the days we're going to have a show. Cool. That's awesome. Just the four of you? Yes. No, like we'll locals? be we'll we'll have a we'll have local performers at each of our shows. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Cool. We should be the following, following from town to town, get that kind of word of mouth going. I can't quit. Here the same York, way people follow around bands. Here in New York on the 11th, we're going to have um, Russell Bruner with us, who is the reigning king of boylesque. Oh, cool! I don't think I've actually we're seen very him. Very excited about. That. You should check it out <laughs> because first of all, well, it's a it's a Monday night, so mm-hmm. you're probably. 
actually, you're probably doing this. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm skipping that week, so sorry. Well, I mean, we could always go to the show, and we've we've yet to do an on the road show, and it's completely possible to do. It's very I think we have a guest that week. Oh, the eleventh. Yeah, we do have a guest. That's next week. Damn it. Sorry, hmm. we already have a uh, uh, episode. Yeah, bring him on the road. Why not? Yeah, Man. right. Just drag him. Yeah, why should it be about him? We'll just make him talk about something else that doesn't involve him. That's right. Yeah, um, next hey, you, you're going <laughs> next. But uh, well, that sounds like a lot of fun though. The tour, so that should mm-hmm. be really cool. Yeah, um, next week we're having um, Joe Rude, who runs Nerdyoki at the Waystation. He works for Kings of Karaoke, so we're gonna do our uh, long-awaited karaoke episode because I think it's worth talking about because karaoke is very. I wanted much... to do it for forever. I know. Um, karaoke is a very big part of music in general. Lots of people do enjoy karaoke, and it's become even more popular in the digital age with video games. Um, you know that are just revolve completely around karaoke, from rock band to pop star and a couple other games that are just you know pretty much glorified karaoke games. Talk about so are you going to be talking about um, the different methods that companies use to create karaoke tracks? And why do they use synthesizers every single time? I'm pretty sure that he'll have some input on that, yeah. <laughs> why most of the bad karaoke tracks are just synth. I would love to uh, to know his take on that, actually. I'm sure he's got some insight about it, too, because he's been doing this for a while, as far as I know. But, um, but well, that, that sounds like a, uh, a great and fun tour, and any of our listeners who are from those places should definitely go check it out. I think it'll be a mm-hmm. good time. Um, Our Asheville fan base, perhaps. Yes, if we have any. <laughs> um, uh, wrapping up, um, we unfortunately don't have the album from Joe that we're going to be doing next week. It's going to be a surprise. Okay. So we'll we'll see. But what it will that be is. on the we'll, we'll write it on the website. Probably, yeah. Once he actually messaged me the album, because <laughs> it's not for it being a surprise because he wants to surprise, but it's more surprise because we don't have the information. Yeah, I think he's working. Because the illusion of a character of any kind is. Out the window. But um, before we wrap up in closing, um, Steve, I'm sure you have a fan mail for us, like you do every week. Yes, I do. So we should definitely uh, cover that. Okay, this one goes, You should take component in a contest for among the greatest blogs on the internet. I will recommend this site. Buy Ugg Boots for kids. Ugg Boots? They write a lot of fan mail for for us. From a variety of the Ugg Boots household. Yes. I'm Ugg. fairly certain this is the younger of the Ugg Boots. Uh, yes. Of the Ugg Boots family? Yes. Ugg the Ugg Bootians. Yes. Ugg, Ugg Booties. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're at. This is, this is where we're at. Don't look at me like that, Hazel. I have to deal with it every week. She questions our establishment here. I, I think I so, see. too. We're professional. I thought that was an excellent email. <laughs> it's something that we should take under consideration. Yes. No, we don't take them under consideration. We should take anymore. components. Never again. No, I took it once. Yeah, you did. Oh, I ended up with Nike shoes. Take it. <laughs> yeah, you take it, John. You take it from those Ugg boots. I don't know where I'm going with that. I thought I had more. And it didn't happen. But it didn't. Um, it, anyway, it, Steve, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. I'm doing fine as well. <laughs> as usual, check us out. Tweet. Face. Tweet, Tamblegram, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Telex. Jo- Please Telex us. Yes. I, I would love it for the novel. You can find us on MySpace. No, we're not on MySpace. You can Come find on us now. on Hulu. We're not on Hulu either. You can find us online. That's correct. 
finally. Um, we're still having issues with the uh, the iTunes feed, but you can find us at CrashCords.com, of course, which if you're listening to this, that's how you located us in the first place. So it's this kind of a redundant oh conversation ever. We've you're probably about, ever just had. Just end it. Just end it. So in, in closing, I would Quit like to, if you do not mind, Hazel, if you could say our catchphrase in clo- closing and wrap up the show for us. Music is life and life is good. Thank you for listening to the Crash Chords podcast.